Winston, a cream-colored French bulldog, recently won this year's National Dog Show. What will that mean for veterinary professionals? This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. To the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And a topic that we have tackled before is brachycephalic breeds and some of the incumbent problems with their anatomy. And we've talked about breed bands in different countries around the world, but this week we want to talk about the impact that Winston, the French bulldog who claims top honors at this year's National Dog Show, what impact will he have on the patients that we see? But before we talk about the patients that we're going to be seeing, as always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, I hope you had a good, restful Thanksgiving. I did. It was it was very restful. We, we were very low-key this year. What about you guys? Yeah, pretty restful. And one of the things that we did, like millions of people, I'm sure, around the country and many of the viewfinders out there, is we watched the National Dog Show. How about you? I, I, no, I refuse. I, I won't watch it because of this very reason right here. Um, also, I'm, I have a strong empath and like I get real sad for all the other dogs and yeah, it's stressful for me. So I skip it and I jump right into the holiday movies. Well, I totally get that. And I also, it's time for holiday movies. Uh, but nonetheless, I do watch it uh, kind of, it's like on just in the background, you know, but we're kind of all watching and see when the border terriers come out, we all go and say, hey, you know, we tell our dogs to go look at the screen and they do and they walk away. But this year, a French bulldog won. Now, French bulldogs, as we all know, are incredibly popular. And Becky, I think this is just going to accelerate that popularity in the United States. How about you? A hundred percent. And it's funny because I think that they've been accelerating in popularity <laughs> yeah. as it is. I'm seeing more and more. Uh, and uh, like, I want to preface this as like, we are not mad at the bulldog. We're not against bulldogs. In fact, I've been very, very open about the squishy faces and I, a Boston Terrier, French bulldog, whatever. I just, I think they're adorable and I would love to have one and own one. I know a lot of veterinary professionals with them, but the major concern for me is, you know, the breeding. And that's, I think, concern for all of us. And what we know is these dog shows increase the popularity of the winning breed every year. I mean, historically, right? So we know that that's the best prediction of future. Yeah. And, and one of the things, viewfinders, I'm just like Becky. I mean, I, I love Frenchies. In fact, I love all animals, but that's why I'm a vet. But the reality is we've seen this over time. And in, in my over 30 years as being a veterinarian, we've seen it when Staffordshire, you know, bull terriers got popular. And then we saw Dalmatians. I mean, we just see these little surges and of course labs and so forth. And the thing that worries me the most viewfinders is the fact that you see this breed on TV and Winston was a just incredibly cute dog, in my opinion. And oh, yeah. so now you go, I want one. And if that dog owner isn't educated and informed, Becky, I'm afraid that they may be getting a little bit more dog than they can handle, right? I mean, these a French bulldog is not as sturdy and, you know, as many other breeds, I would argue. Well, I think that I, a couple things. One, we we worry about this and we see this, at, you know, with any kind of Disney movie, you know, when the movie Dog right. came out. So we've talked about this because it does. I don't know why, like we don't see the surge of popularity in rescue breeds when we see a really great movie about a rescue. <laughs> but all of a sudden we see this focus on this on this breed. And you're right. Winston was adorable and he's a sound specimen right, and right. he is well bred. I think that's the gap, right? right? And so people start to see 
an opportunity. Um, and we know there's, you know, tons of puppy mills and, and as much as we'd like to think that isn't a thing that's still happening, it absolutely is. Sure. And they hone in on these popular breeds. And, um, I mean, obviously you've got a fear for that and it, it's, it's hard. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but we could get in front of it, you know, and I'm right. always, always saying, let's get in front of it. So how can we as a clinic celebrate Winston and still educate on, you know, and, and, and why I'm sorry, but also this happens right before Christmas. And right, that's the other thing right, that like scares right. me to death is it's like everyone's thinking about, you know, every kid in America is like, mom, I want a bull. I want a little Winston. So um, I think the, all of that has me very stressed out. And I, and I lean to my veterinary professional teams to say, how can we educate and get in front of this and, and proactively educate our clients? Um, on, well, you know, pre-adoption counseling, pre-purchase counseling. Right. And again, that's, I think that's the main thrust of today's conversation is because Winston is an incredible sample or I would say representative of the breed. You know, he looked yes. fantastic. I don't know his medical history, but you know, we're going to go with that. And he looks good. He, he really did. And I think that somehow you're going to say, okay, here's a six week old Frenchie. It looks cute enough, but you really don't know that, wow, it's going to have a whole host of problems moving forward. And so I think that's like Becky said, it's the gap between like the, the really good representatives uh, like Winston and then everything else that you might get, you know, as from a puppy mill. So I think that's an issue. The other thing too, Becky, that I found interesting to me is here is the U.S. National Dog Show, and this is a breed that is really coming under scrutiny, especially in Europe, right? I mean, we just saw a ban in Norway this past year. You know, they banned uh, the Cavalier King Charles and Bulldogs and so forth, right? So they banned it. The U.K. has been kind of really loud about wanting to slow down or stop the breeding of Frenchies and and other dysplastic breeds. But Becky, yeah, so against the backdrop of that, right? So there's this European outcry, and yet here we go in the U.S., we are crowning the French bulldog. I mean, didn't that seem a little odd to you? Yeah, it did occur to me, like, in in other countries, it's it's really getting frowned upon. I will say this, though. Um, I was just over in Europe, and I saw a ton of French bulldogs, and... I saw them in France and it made me wonder if they're French bulldogs in France or are they just, <laughs> just, are they just bulldogs. bulldogs in France? I didn't, I didn't want to ask. I will also say that the only thing I Google translated is in French was, can I pet your dog? Right. <laughs> so they're everywhere. Anyway, I digress. I, I would say I, it did occur to me, like we're celebrating a breed that in other places is getting banned, is getting restricted. And there's like this huge push for, public education, right? Because we're putting it into actual legislation. And so people are becoming hyper aware of this in other places, whereas like we now probably just made a huge leap in the opposite direction. And I think that is pretty telltale. (laughs) Like it really (laughs) runs right along with a lot of the things we do in society versus other countries. So uh, really frustrating. Absolutely. But that being said, Uh, Let's look on the positive side of things. And how can we educate our clients on good breeders? How can we identify and work with good breeders, right? Like, I think that's the number one thing to do is have sources instead of just saying, I don't really believe in breeding dogs. I don't really know where to send you, um, is being the wheelhouse of good information for your clients. And I think that is the best thing we can do because we can't change. And I think that we can use Winston as such a healthy uh, you know, bulldog an example to use him in the case of this guy versus the other guy. 
Yeah, it, it's a really interesting dilemma of viewfinders. I think that we find ourselves in as a profession because here we are, you know, we are embracing the love and care of, of animals. You know, we celebrate the bond. And yet at the same time, there's kind of this backhanded, but not that one, right? And and this, of course, is, is not only applies to different species, which we've talked about, and you know my personal stand on that, but also within breeds. So I, I think it's, it's, a, it's an interesting conundrum that we find ourselves in. And so I'm with Becky on this. It's like, I think that there's, there's really only two ways to, to move forward on th- these types of issues. Number one, you sort of go the way that the UK and parts of Europe are going. This is ban it. We don't like it. It's bad. It's yeah. so bad. It's so bad that we don't even have anything to do with it. Or we try to get involved and say, let's get responsible breeders. Let's try to change this, right? Because I, I do, you know, we know this is genetic. I mean, many of these issues can be corrected or improved upon. Uh, and, and again, for those that we can't, then I think we have to have a different discussion. But, you know, Becky, I think that I'm with you. Like if I were you today and you're communicating on social media, you know, is it, I don't know. I mean, it depends on your personal preference, but you know, I don't know if we should condemn the breed publicly, right? Like, oh my gosh, whatever you do, America, don't get a French bulldog. They're just rife with problems. You know, I, I think it's probably more of a conversation of, hey, before you choose that French bulldog, let's talk about things to look for, what you can expect, what are some of the health risks, and maybe how to choose a better breeder. I mean, that's my kind of opinion, Becky. What do you think? Yeah, I think villainizing anything is not a great idea because people, it, it feel, you know, you feel shame and vulnerability. And instead and they're of being so open, cute. <laughs> oh, my God, they're so cute. Right. And they make sounds like little dinosaurs. I mean, let's be clear. And you said like a six week old. And I was like, oh, that's when their head's so big. They you got to watch them around their water. Come right, on. Right. They're the sweetest little nuggets, you know. And I think part of it is we are they are endearing to us because we work on them so frequently and we help them through um, these moments. But, you know, I see so many opportunities in social media, like where we use it as almost like an inside joke. Right. You see the memes where the bulldog's got the trach tube in and he it's like the best breath of his life or whatever, (laughs) which is so probably true. Um, but instead of using that as an opportunity to educate, we use it as like this inside joke where how could we take those opportunities and say, Hey, did you know, um, I continually say we have one of the most educated, you know, clientele that we've probably ever had in a lot of cases, you know, they really want to be educated. They want to know what's going on. They want to be involved in, um, a sensory type of way. And we don't take the opportunity to leverage that, I think, as much as we can to educate them in a way that they're smart and they don't need to be talked down to. And we don't need to, you know, make fun of them and shame them. Whereas we can say like, here's like legit education on why these things are what they are. And it goes across all breeds, right? We just are now going to take a look really close at what we can do to get in front of Winston in particular winning, knowing that there will come this surge. Yeah, it's, it's, Again, I, I am for responsible breeding. And, you know, I think that the other thing too, Becky, that that we're coming into the the, the context of this anti-pure breed sentiment, right? So I think that the, there's been a big push as it should be. And you and I are strong supporters and advocates and work with many, many rescue groups and, and different groups trying to, to save animals that, you know, are mixed breed and so forth. But, you know, Becky, at the same time, millions of people are tuning in to look at these different breeds and maybe it's just voyeuristic entertainment, but other times people are actually trying to find out, oh, wow, you know, I, I never saw that type of breed. I might be interested in sharing my home with it. So, you know, there's an educational component as well. So, you know, Becky, what do you 
you think about the again the backdrop of of backdrop of the UK and Europe starting to really distance themselves from these breeds, and yet in the US we're saying okay, adopt, don't shop, but yet there's still millions and millions of people adopting or adopting uh, bringing into their homes a, a pure breed dog. How, how do we reconcile all that? Yeah. So again, I think that's what I mean by not villainizing anything because in the, in the, in that sense, you create an argument, right? And then you get people on high horses one way or another, and then somebody gets shamed, right? You're walking, walking around with your little bully and somebody is like shaming you for owning it and and telling you what a miserable, horrible life that animal has, uh, and which it, you know, that there's no way to interact in society. But I think when we do that, we elevate that argument. Um, so at least within our own country, uh, because because again, I think we can use the ban to leverage the conversation and to say, you know, in other countries, this breed is actually becoming banned. It's so pure, imp- improperly bred, and use that as a backdrop, but not really. You know, it, it's a springboard. It's not yeah, really the landing place, right? right. Um, because it starts an interesting conversation because people are kind of like, oh, why? And then in and it's an opening that is has nothing to do with you, nothing to do with the dog, and nothing to do with the person. It has to do with an entirely different country, right? So just a real neutral place to start the conversation. I think the dialogue is important, but I continually, I you know, my my newest soapbox for people is understand that people are not in the clinic to consume information. They're there to, uh, for something to be executed, and they there's an act that needs to be done. And I, and I don't think that they're t- intaking information the way they should. And so we have to find better ways to leverage that information. We know people are using podcasts, social media, you know, and the internet to consume. That's where we tune out of our everyday and take in new information. I think as educators and advocators, that's our responsibility is to get to them where they are going to consume and retain the information. And it's it's not the exam room. Yeah, excellent point. And I think one that lots of people have, you know, we've tried to push that. And, and Becky, I appreciate you bringing that back up today. Yeah, but again, Becky, getting back to Winston, the cute Frenchie, we're going to see this popularity popping in. Uh, I think there's another element, and that is probably you as a veterinary professional should equip yourself with knowledge and maybe even equipment, right? I mean, because you are going to see them like it or not, unless you choose just flat out not to see them, which I think would be a mistake. But Becky, I mean, this is also an opportunity for you to look up and say, okay, what is the latest and the greatest, especially dealing with brachycephalic breeds? You know, are are there pieces of equipment or monitoring devices that maybe we should incorporate additional training? You know, I mean, I, I still think it's a huge opportunity. And, and for me, at least, I think it's, it's wonderful to, to learn more and to be able to address the special needs of a, of a Frenchie. If I were you right now, this is getting back to be the breed expert in your community. So this is something, you know, again, if you start doing social media posts out there talking about special needs and special things and special ways that you do it at your clinic, I'm telling you, you may find yourself with some some new clients. Yeah, I think absolutely. Because what I what I know is specifically in, my, in our area, we have like bulldog Facebook owner pages right. and meetup groups. Like this is an actual, like, it's like the Jeep wave thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like if you're in the bulldog club, man, so the, you're absolutely right. When you put yourself in a position of knowing and being educated and being a good communicator, you will absolutely, you manifest, I think, right. bulldogs around you. Right, right. You know, and and people talk and say, I work with this clinic and they're really, really great and here's why. If you don't, uh, the same thing is going to happen in the opposite direction. And they're going to talk about how you don't know, right. understand, or how you hate the breed. 
Yeah, and that's a terrible position to be in. Oh, think, yeah. You know, just in general, uh, because that that actually transcends beyond that particular breed that you don't like. It's going to be like, well, this is not very nice. He just doesn't like dogs or whatever. Uh, Becky, one other quick thing, you know, while we're talking about this, again, this is the result of a huge TV show, right? And so this is a big thing in the U.S. But in the U.K., if you recall, it was, uh, I believe it was the British Vet Association had called on a band to use French Bulldogs and Bulldogs in general in any advertising. I think the British Veterinary Association made a position statement or maybe they were part of it. Maybe Blue Cross, I know, was involved with it. I know there were several groups that were saying, hey, don't show them on TV because that's going to encourage people to bring them into their homes. I mean, again, I just it's such a a vast contrast to me. Oh, I know. But like so many things are. And (laughs) I'm kind of like, I, I don't want to, you know, I'm always towing the political line, but it's like, I think we're comparing apples to oranges in logic, right? And, and understanding. And I think for me, we have to reconcile that because you and I are both saying like breeding, breed bands are maybe not, it's like, you know, we could use guns, for example. Sure. If you, if we don't, you know, have nice things because we don't use them right. And so, Um, I don't think puppy, and I, this is totally uneducated statement for me. Please, please politely write in and tell me how wrong I am. If I am, because I'd like to know, I don't think puppy mills are a problem in the UK and places like that. Like I don't hear a lot about those types of things. I did see the equivalent of SPCA in, in the UK and I know that they exist, but I'm just not sure, um, that we, we see the same with puppy mills and the profit side of things with dogs could be totally, totally wrong. So I think it's easier. Um, I don't want to say easier, but I just think that is the position of the way I see government work over there with the gut, with the, with the declaw bands, with the ear crop and the tail docking, like a lot of different things have been banned over there that just seem medically unnecessary. And they don't put the I think the same emphasis on the physical aspect of the dogs the same. I I don't know how to reconcile that with how we tend to think over here and how to justify it. I don't think that banning is the right thing because I think when we ban things, people find ways around it no matter what. That's why people own crocodiles and, you know, whatever. But at the same time, I I do see a problem with continually breeding animals with, with genetic deficiencies. And I will say uh, every bulldog that I know is artificially inseminated. And so I will lean into our veterinary professionals to fill in the blanks there when I say these dogs are still getting bred. Yeah, for sure. And, and and again, maybe at scale. And I think that's a huge difference between the U.S. sort of, quote unquote, puppy mill, you know, industry versus other countries. It's just massive in the U.S. Uh, Becky, again, as we sort of wrap up today's conversation, you know, we've talked about, OK, maybe this is a good time to rethink how you approach the, these types of breeds, especially Frenchies. Maybe you should do some public outreach. Maybe you should actually educate yourself, equip yourself if necessary, and maybe promote yourself on social media if this is something that you're into. But Becky, the the final thing, I guess, is just how, I mean, moving forward, again, looking into that crystal ball, like, what do you think we could do to improve the breed overall? Like, like, okay, it's good to talk, but do you think there's anything we could do from a regulatory standpoint? Or is there is there anything in your crystal ball, if, if you know, you could pass a law that you could do, do you really think that would help improve the breed or lots of breeds? 
I don't know that if I, I think that passing the law at this, I think that's kind of putting the cart before the horse because you don't have the public support for it. Um, and, and we see legislation go quote unquote wrong when we don't have public support and education in front of legislation. And so I, I don't necessarily think that's going to be successful, but I will lean into my previous statement. I think the veterinary industry has a responsibility in practicing responsible breeding and best practices in breeding. And I think that we can put up requirements to participating in artificial insemination of various breeds, any breed that requires genetic testing, disease testing, in overall as much information as we can gather on the health of that dog and that bloodline to ensure that the crossbreeding of these dogs is going to result in a positive outcome. And that's our responsibility. And anything less than that, um, I think if we continue to participate in artificial insemination, we're continuing our, like we're perpetuating our own problem, right? Maybe we're just providing ourselves services in the future, (laughs) saving our our, our profession. (laughs) Um, But I think, I think that's where it really has to start um, because we don't have the access to the folks before they get the dogs, right? We get them, they have this puppy and we don't want to rain all over their puppy parade. That's just terrible. Right. Um, but at the same time, we're like, okay, here's what you're going to need to look out for is, you know, $2,000 cherry eye in the next three months. Yep. And, you know, anyway, so I think that it's too late once they get to us. And so I think we need to, hey, get in front of it and and practice really responsible breeding and have our own standards when it comes to that. Yeah. And I'll just repeat sort of the same song I've been singing since we certainly since we started the podcast, but before that, and that is that I think that at the state VMA and of course at the AVMA level, we should be reaching out to breeders and saying, this is how you can responsibly do this. These are the medical conditions to be testing for genetically. These are the things to look for in your breeding program, right? I mean, I think that we could help them as opposed to just staying separate from them. And we could actually guide, I I think, the improvement of the breed. Because like you said, Becky, I mean, if we vilify things, if we ban things, if we just pass laws, people are going to get around it. And if you don't have public support, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to help you with it. They're not going to in any way, you know, participate in it. So I I just still think there's so much opportunity to work with responsible breeders, you know. And and so for me, if we could somehow identify identify those breeders and set up, again, working with state VMAs and universities and, and AVMA, whatever, I think that that's a good first step, you know, Becky, because, I mean, can you imagine a world without pure breed dogs? Like, I just kind of can't. I, I Yeah, I think that's the important part, right, is that we don't support eliminating breeds because they do have jobs, they do right. do work, and they do have owners who do phenomenal things with them and really, you know, my favorite thing is this new, like talking dogs that are, um, right, right. you know, pressing the buttons and all of that things. And, um, people are, are getting more and more creative and I, and I do think we're seeing more professional overlap. It might not necessarily be breeders and veterinarians, but I think as we see more professions working together instead of against each other, there is this sort of blending that is happening. And then there's these folks who are examples and, you know, what, what do you call them um, in social media? They're influencers um, (laughs) who can, can bridge these gaps because they're people that tend to have a positive association with the profession or with what they do, whether it's breeding. There's this girl I follow on TikTok. She's hysterical. I can't remember her name, but she breeds um, 
uh, corgis and she calls them little potatoes and she is adorable and I love her TikTok and it's like really <laughs> educational and she shows how much time it takes to put into breeding right. these puppies and like that it's literally how she spends her whole day right. um, and how she picks homes for them and X, Y, and Z, right? So I think that there is opportunity to bridge the gap as long as we are not protective and obsessive the way that we are and shaming and, van- you know, villainizing people who do what we don't think is right instead of having a conversation. Yeah. And, and again, you know, I, I think viewfinders, it's not mutually exclusive to say, wow, I like pure breeds and I think you should adopt, don't shop. You know, I, I think that those are not mutually exclusive. Those are just two different ends of the spectrum of, of patients that we see. And I think that it's really important for us to be as open-minded as possible. And again, if you have a very strong opinion on either end of that spectrum, then that's fine as well. But it's just embracing and being open-minded and saying, okay, how can we make it better for everybody? Okay, we know how we can make it better for rescues, right? Because we can give them homes, we can get them out of shelters and avoid euthanasias. But we also know how we can improve purebreed dogs. I mean, we have the scientific genetic information and knowledge, but nobody's really reaching out to them. I mean, what I found really interesting over the past, you know, 20 years or so, Becky, is the fact of how isolated most of these breeders truly are. Now, some are isolated because they're doing things that we don't agree with and are just downright wrong and dangerous and harmful, but many of them feel isolated from the veterinary community because they feel like we are adversarial, right? And I think we've got to bridge that divide and try to say, hey, look, let's try to work together to make whatever the breed is that you're so enthusiastic about better and you know yeah. healthier. I, I think it's not that hard. Well, and then those same veterinarians have to be part of the education of their colleagues. And I think that's kind of the hard part. I think there's like a double shame level, right? The breeder finds one veterinarian who is accepting of the number of animals that they have because they feel shame for that. You know, they cut them some deals on meds because they know they have a million. They give them supplies at home. They empower them. And they get this like rock solid cement relationship with this one veterinarian who quote unquote understands them. And knows that they're taking care of their pets, right? Like, that's the other thing. We see right. them all the time because they're taking care of them. Um, I think it's it's important for those guys, those veterinarians, to speak out and to say, here's how I bridge the gap with my breeders. Here's something that works for me. Um, because I think a lot of times we feel we might lose control. And, and it's like they're doing medicine at home and they're, they think they're their own veterinarians. And I think that there's just a lot of unstable ground for us in these relationships and I think other veterinarians who have great relationships with breeders could share some of the tricks of their trade and how they bridge those gaps and help educate. Because it is happening. There is great breeding happening out there. Yeah. Wow. I love this conversation. Viewfinders, we'd really like to know what you think about Winston, the French bulldog who won the National Dog Show. Do you think we're going to see a surge in popularity and more pet patients that look a lot like that little squished face nugget, as Becky calls them? Or do you think that this is much to do about nothing? Are you in favor of banning these types of dogs, passing regulation? Or do you think that we should try to bridge the gap with breeders and improve the breed overall? We'd really like to hear from you. And Becky, how can we hear from the viewfinders? Well, if you have a little French bulldog you want to send me for Christmas, I, I would be happy to uh, DM you my address. Other than that, you can hit us up on Facebook and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. You can um, email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com and not so much yeah. on the Twitter. I'm yeah. going to back gently away from that one and say, <laughs> like, it's probably not the best place to reach yeah, us, right? Like, leave right a message. Um, we might be back. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have a great week and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.